Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. days remind us of our dependence on water, don't they? We are always dependent on water each and every day, but when we are overheated and thirsty, our bodies remind us how much we crave a cool glass of water. Our bodies and our spirits are renewed when our thirst is slaked. I don't get to use that word very much. Slaked. During the month of August, we will be focusing on some fun stories from the Bible, most of them lesser known, where water is the central element. And today, I have the pleasure of telling you the story of the Apostle Paul's shipwreck, in which 267 people on board survived not to give the suspense away. The story does read like a screenplay, so hang on to your seats. Here's a little bit of background before we get to the central scripture passage for today. Paul, formerly known as Saul, spent his life traveling from here to there, telling the stories of Jesus and winning many converts to Christianity. This was after he had poured his life into stopping the Christian faith from being spread with great passion. After a visionary encounter with Jesus, his passions and energies are entirely refocused, and he rejects his former ways of thinking and makes new allies and new enemies. Paul isn't exactly well thought of by his former comrades who are still investing in stopping or slowing the spread of Christianity. And this gets him arrested several times. One of the unique things about Paul is that he is both Jewish and a Roman citizen. His Roman citizenry gives him privileges that most others aren't afforded. In an earlier encounter with the law, he was sent off to Rome and acquitted. Today's story begins after he's arrested for the last time. The local authorities can't figure out what to do with Paul because he hasn't really broken any laws, but the Jewish leaders and therefore the Jewish population, which holds the majority, does not want him released. He has a good relationship with a centurion who's in charge of him, and therefore a level of freedom, even though he's technically imprisoned. Paul, being an experienced traveler, on ships and also being himself has opinions on what is a prudent journey. He makes a dire prediction before they leave. Sirs, if we proceed, I can see our voyage will be dangerous and will involve heavy loss, not only of cargo, but of the ship itself. Not only of the ship, but also of our lives. 
But Paul's warnings go unheeded, and they set out anyway on a treacherous journey. Okay. Here is the story from the book of Acts in the 27th chapter, beginning with verse 13. One day, a moderate south wind began to blow, which made an attempt possible. We weighed anchor and sailed west, staying near shore. Then things got scary. A violent northeaster, the Araquilo, blew across Crete. We were caught. We couldn't turn and sailed into this fierce wind, so we had no choice but to let it drive us. We briefly found a bit of shelter from the wind near the island of Quada, and then having trouble securing the ships. We had been having trouble securing the ship's lifeboat, but we were able there to hoist it up and send down cables to brace the hull, which was in danger of breaking apart under the strain of the storm. The wind was relentless, and soon we were again being driven southwest at the mercy of the storm. We feared it would drive us all the way to Sirtis Banks, and now down near North, Af the Afri North African coast, so we threw out the sea anchor to slow us down. All night, the storm pounded us violently. The next day, the crew threw the ship's cargo overboard, and the day after that, they discarded any of the ship's equipment that they could do without. Days passed without relief from the ferocious winds, without a single break in the clouds to see sun or stars even for a moment. Despair set in, as if all hope of rescue had been cast overboard as well. On top of all of this, the crew had been unable to eat anything because of the turmoil. Paul saw the crew had reached a critical moment. He gathered them. Men, he said, if you had listened to my warning, we would be safe in Crete and have avoided this damage and loss. I'm sure that's what they wanted to hear right then. I was correct in my warning, so I urge you to believe me now. Here's the good part. None of you will die. We will lose the ship, but we will not lose one life. So keep your courage, men. The God I belong to, the God I worship, sent a heavenly messenger to me this night. He said, don't be afraid, Paul. I'm not finished with you yet. We are going to stand before the emperor. You can be certain that God has granted safety to you and all your companions. So listen, men, you must not give up hope. Keep up your courage. I have faith in God that things will turn around exactly as I was told last night. Here's what I, will, I foresee. We will run aground on some island. Imagine what happened. It's the 14th night of our nightmare voyage. We're being driven by the storm somewhere in the Adriatic Sea. It's about midnight and the sailors are taking soundings, fearing we might run aground. 20 fathoms, somebody calls out in the darkness, and then a little later, 15 fathoms. We're nearing land. But hope quickly gives way to a new fear. At any moment in this darkness, they realize we could be smashed into unseen rocks. 
So they drop four anchors from the stern and pray for first light. Then some of the crew decide to make a run for it on their own. They say they need to let out more anchors from the bow. This would require lowering the ship's lifeboat. They actually plan to abandon us. We realize what's going on. Paul quickly speaks to the officer and the soldiers. Unless these men stay on board, you won't survive. So the soldiers intervene, cut away the lifeboat, and let it drift away. We wait. Just before dawn, Paul again gathers everyone on the ship, all 276 of us. He urges everyone to eat and encourages us not to lose hope. Listen, men, he says, we've all been under incredible stress for 14 days. You haven't eaten anything this whole time. I urge you to take some food now because it will help you survive what we're about to face. I want to assure you, not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. We're all going to make it, all 276 of us. Then Paul takes a loaf of bread and gives thanks to God in front of them all. He breaks it, takes a piece, and begins to eat it. A fresh surge of courage seems to fill their hearts as they also begin to eat. After satisfying their hunger, the crew lightens the ship by throwing the remaining wheat overboard. Day finally breaks. They survive, they survey the coastline and don't recognize it. But they do notice a bay with a beach, the best place to try to run ashore. So they cut the anchor ropes, untie the steer oars, hoist the foresail to the wind, and make for the beach. Then, But then there is a horrible sound, and we realize we've struck a reef. The bow is jammed solid, and the waves are smashing the stern to pieces. The soldiers start talking about killing prisoners so they won't swim away and escape. Paul is one of those prisoners. But the officer wants to save Paul, so he stops them. He tells those who can swim, jump overboard and swim to the shore, and those who can't. He tells to hold on to planks and other pieces of the ship, when, the, when it breaks apart. Some hours later, we reassemble on the beach, each one safe and sound. Two hundred and seventy-six people on board a ship that is breaking apart, and all of them survive. The prisoners aren't killed, no one is only out for themselves and their own survival, or at least the crew was dissuaded from being out for themselves and their own survival. It seems like a miracle, doesn't it? Those with the skills and privilege to swim, swim to shore, and those who don't know how to swim are carried by using the means they have. And I'd like to think they helped each other because they realized they were all in it together. You've heard that phrase a few times over the last few years, haven't you? We're all in this together. 
Posters everywhere announced it. It's written on the signs of buildings, sides of buildings. The question remains, however, if we as a society have taken the lesson, that lesson away from this pandemic. Are we more invested in the survival of the whole, all of us, or are we just in it for ourselves? Paul's work of telling the story of Jesus, baptizing and healing people in the name of Jesus is widely known. Paul wrote many letters to the churches that he helped start in various places, and those are in our Bible. We know what he thinks about so very many things. Some would say we know what Paul thinks even more than we know what Jesus thinks, thanks to the Bible. Therefore, I, what I find so remarkable about this story of the shipwreck is that Paul doesn't call anyone to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Everyone in the boat is in this together. Paul is, is directive and shares his vision with everyone. And before he heads out, he warns them that they may lose their lives. But after his vision from God, he is confident that they will all survive together. And when some of the crew try to abandon the ship, Paul convinces the officers and soldiers that they must bring them back for the survival of the whole. They are all in this together. It's not about one individual or another. It's about everyone. It's not about me being more important than you. It's about everyone being valued and cared for. One of the numerous powerful statements that Cole Arthur Riley writes in her book, Hear This Flesh, is this. Solidarity is a group that stands together and would do so even for its weakest member. It is that community which resists the intoxicating lie of individualism. We live for ourselves and by ourselves. Solidarity dismisses self-preservation in favor of a new way to sense the injustice, the need, or glory of any one part as the unflinching responsibility of the collective. I'm going to read that again. Solidarity is a group that stands together and would do so for even its weakest member. It is that community which resists the intoxicating lie of individualism. We live for ourselves and by ourselves. Solidarity dismisses self-preservation in favor of a new way to sense the injustice, need, or glory of any one part as the unflinching responsibility of the collective. I believe that when we fail, that when we value the individual over the many in economics, in public health, or salvation, 
we fail to see the way that Jesus is inviting us into. Solidarity calls us to be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of our friends and our enemies. So I challenge you in this coming week to find ways to value others, to care for strangers, to invest in a better world. Maybe that looks like calling your federal representatives to urge them to support the Inflation Reduction Act, the largest climate change action our government has ever conceived of. Or maybe it looks like paying for the person behind you when you go through the drive-thru or the line at the coffee shop. May we know that we are all in this together. And may we live as if that were true. May it be so. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.